Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's up? I have been obsessed with this boat. I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. The boat, the boat that is blocking uh, the, you know, the, the, the functioning of our worldwide economy, the boat that could take down capitalism, the boat, the boat. <laughs> Tell us about the boat. I mean, there's nothing to say. Everyone listening to this episode for sure knows about the boat. And maybe by the time you're hearing it, uh, they've removed the ever given from the Suez Canal. But it's just um, really. I mean, maybe not everyone knows about the boat. I <laughs> okay. feel like maybe not everybody knows about the boat. It is bizarre. It has caused a traffic jam of <laughs> boats <laughs> uh, who uh, need to get through the, the Suez Canal to, um, you know, to make sure that our economy does what it does. <laughs> so <laughs> this is, I mean, it's been, yep. what? it's been, it's been like a week and a half now. It's been, Oof. how long has it been? I'm not sure. It's been a while. This boat is really I feel stuck. like this is an, an analogy for something in society right now. I haven't quite figured out what it is, but I will. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll report back. <laughs> it's an example of, of how like capitalism in this in this world feels like it's Im- immovable. It feels like it's entrenched. Um, and then a boat gets fucking like blown a little bit harder than normal. And you realize that capitalism is actually teetering on a knife edge. And, um, you know, maybe we should be thinking more about blocking seaways in a very theoretical fucking academic uh, situation. And perhaps Comrade Boat has the <laughs> has the uh, theoretical fucking answers. I don't know. <laughs> Comrade Boat. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. How are you, Sandy? I am Great. I'm great. You know, I it is summer oh. now. Summer has sprung in Los Angeles. It is a balmy <laughs> 30 degrees Jeez. outside. I am enjoying life. It's wonderful. Um, you know, all the moments when I'm not inside with my head down reading all the cases that the law school wants me to read so beyond that uh, things are quite lovely I can't wait until all of you in Canada get to experience this kind of weather it really does just wake up the soul (laughs) Um, but we have some less happy inducing things to talk about today Uh, but before we get there are there people that we need to thank Yes, there are. This week, I want to give a special shout out to Kelly, Simone, and Nicole. Thank you so much for uh, donating to the podcast and and everybody that supports the podcast by sharing it or, um, you know, sending it to their parents or cousins or coworkers um, just to help just to help with the explanations. Sometimes you need that extra little help. And I'm really happy that we can sometimes provide that for for you all. And you said it's going to be a difficult show. I think that's right. I think that this is going to be a difficult conversation, difficult both because the content is difficult, but also because um, it's so frustrating too. And that combination of, of difficult, anger-inducing, frustration, helplessness, violence, uh, it's uh, it's a lot to take. So I guess we better just, you know, jump uh, jump into it. 
Yeah. And you know what? Um, I do want to just uh, give a slight warning to people that we are going to be talking about um, femicide and we're going to be talking about uh, violence uh, against women and gender based violence. And so if that's not something you're ready to hear about just yet, I'm just going to give you a little second to uh, make that decision. Um, and maybe in the interim, Nora, there was one thing that we wanted to mention before we got into this um, uh, about uh, something that's going on in Hawkesbury, Ontario. Well, th- yeah, this past week has been really wild because there's been a whole bunch of incidences of um, violence Um not just in Hawkesbury, uh, Kelowna as well. There was a, a mass sh- a stabbing in Kelowna and there's, of course, yeah. the stabbing in North Vancouver. But in Hawkesbury in Ontario, um, which is a, a, a francophone community that is uh, about an hour away from Ottawa and on the border with Quebec, there was a doctor who's from a su- suburb basically of Montreal who killed somebody and injured some number of people. But we actually don't really know what's gone on because there's been so little information reported about the acts and the victims. And so um, what has been reported is there's this this doctor, he's a relatively new doctor. He studied in Saskatchewan and had been living in Reno and practicing in Reno and and had only, I think, gotten his certification in Quebec uh, in the past year. And this individual um, in the hospital at Hawkesbury uh, killed somebody and injured some number of people and has been charged with first-degree murder. And that's all we know, which is so bizarre and uh, really dovetails well with what we're going to be talking about tonight um, at some point uh, in the episode related to why don't we know more about acts of violence when they happen? Yeah, and um, but one other just quick point to make about what's happening in Hawkesbury, it's like, uh, yes, it's a it's a French town, and part of the reason why I expect that it hasn't been bigger in the news media is because of what we were talking about just a couple episodes ago, this kind of weird wall that exists between French news and and English news in Canada, which is just it's just mm-hmm. unacceptable, and we need to um, be able to 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 know about the news that's going on. Uh, in whether it's in a majority French speaking place, majority English speaking place, or a place that speaks neither of those languages and uh, speaks majority something else. And so um, uh, unacceptable in many, many different ways. Um, But yes, lots and lots of violence happening uh, across uh, Canada in the last week. Very strange. Yeah. Um, in a, a couple of weeks ago, the Femicide Observatory uh, put out their annual report and they, they track um, statistics related to gendered violence in this country. And they found that there were 160 acts of femicide in Canada in 2020. And um, that uh, that's like, you know, someone being killed every other day, basically, um, you know, maybe with a couple of days off. But that's a really alarming figure. And um, and in that figure, uh, violence was most pronounced and most uh, significant in proportion to the, the population, uh, to Indigenous women. And it's, it, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, the pandemic was always the way that we, you know, it's been talked about popularly. It was always going to impact um, people who were vul- vulnerable already. And we've heard a, a lot about the, quote, 
unquote, she session. But the pandemic, with the way that they talk about this, a lot of politicians and journalists talk about this, the pandemic of gendered violence um, has only gotten worse. And, you know, in the past couple of weeks in Quebec, there have been eight women killed in in situations of gendered violence uh, by someone they knew. And um, the the disconnect between what's happening and the political response is really stark. It's really like, wow, you guys do not fucking care. You don't care at all that that there are people that are dying in these situations. Because if you cared, you would fucking do something about it. And you refuse to. You just don't. It's It's so disgusting and disappointing and frustrating. And I want to scream when I think about it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things um, that uh, is like just such a stark proof of how uh, patriarchy and misogyny exist in our society and how devalued women are. But, um, you know, uh, even more starkly, how devalued uh, women of color, indigenous women are. because you this this issue this problem is so common so common that you know any anyone in power who is dealing with a with a problem that's this common should uh, be making it uh, one of their priorities to to deal with it but here we are in a world where we have next to no services for people who find themselves in a situation where they could or are consistently um, the victims of gender-based violence. And um, we know that most of the time this is happening um, to women from from somebody that they know, um, often from a relationship that they are uh, that they are involved in and uh, find it very difficult, to, to do anything about because of the control that that person has over them um, uh, in a in uh, in a romantic relationship uh, type of uh, setting type of world and you'd think that we would have something in our society um, to help women um, escape these these issues to um, to 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 properly uh, make sure that men, uh, who do these types of things? Because it is, you know, the the report that Nora is referring to uh, talks about how ninety percent of these violent uh, femicides are perpetrated by men that have something, you know, to prevent uh, men from continuing to do this. Even uh, some place for women to go. Uh, our shelter system uh, for women uh, is uh, grossly underfunded and. Um, uh, in regular times, uh, I don't know what the stats are during the pandemic, uh, but in regular times are always full and don't provide enough beds uh, for women who need them. And so, you know, this is a stark problem. And it, it's not, you know, the pandemic has um, intensified uh, uh, a situation that has already existed uh, for so long. Why is it that we haven't done anything about it? And I think that the only answer is uh, how how little we value uh, women and uh, in particular the women who are most often the victims of these these crimes in our society. Mm-hmm. 
If you think back to the start of the pandemic, the there was widespread discussion really early on uh, about how uh, confinement was going to become a difficult and dangerous situation for people who were in situations of domestic violence. And it makes a lot of sense, right? You don't have to think too hard about why someone in a controlling and violent situation um, will probably find uh, that situation get worse when you've got the pressures of a pandemic, when you have the lack of access to services in the same way because of the pandemic or, you know, people are easier to control because, you know, you can't you can't just freely circulate in the way that you may have otherwise done, even in a very controlling uh, situation. And so, you know, this was this was all, th- all through March. This was the way that the pandemic impacting women was reported by the mainstream press. It, it was not so much by the economic measures; those came later. Uh, but but m- mostly talking about women in, in, through the lens of um, of domestic violence, which is which is interesting, right? It's like okay, so the number one way that the government will first consider women is as victims of violence. <laughs> it's like okay, great, thank you for that. And you know, so this was this was a clear problem uh, predicted by activists, predicted by academics, predicted by fuck even the cops. And um, and so what did the federal government do? Well, uh, they put out the CERB, which disqualified anybody who was making less than $5,000 uh, in 2019, which of course would automatically disqualify any person who was reliant on someone else for their income, right, which is going to disproportionately impact disabled women, racialized women, indigenous women, um, you know, women who are taking care of children, right? Uh, So cool. That was a super progressive measure. Thank you, feminist Justin Trudeau for that. And then... Don't worry, um, he's working on the she session. He's working on the she session. I can't even say it. Fuck it. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I I mean, the, the, the... I'm trying to think of another word that I can come up with. The the uh, hypocrisy, sheepocracy is very... Uh, uh, annoying um, to say. Maybe <laughs> the worst. Hypocrisy. Fuck. That's so much better. Um, and so, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when the first announcement happened from Marion Monsef, who is the most fucking. insufferable I would say cabinet minister because she's all like I'm a feminist. I'm from the YMCA, and then she fucking does fuck all. Um, it was forty million dollars was given to to shelters across Canada um, to help uh, to help shelters that help people fleeing violence, mostly women's shelters. That money was not uh, targeted towards locations like the North, where in northern Canada there's higher incidence of of domestic violence. Like it wasn't as if there was more money that was given to to communities that had higher rates of domestic violence, and forty million dollars for the entire fucking country when these facilities are often overnight facilities and therefore extremely vulnerable to COVID uh, was just like not even close to enough because autumn like overnight uh, facilities needed to get tons of PPE that they probably never had before. You know, there's absolutely no sharing of rooms and and family spaces became even uh, more closed off to make sure that people weren't mixing. A lot of shelters had to outsource um, like their spaces to hotels. And so that cost a lot of money too. And so by the time the fall came around, the feminist Marion Monsef's like, oh, we better, you know what? They increased it to 50000 and yet let's double that. So it's $100,000 now in October, which is still not even close to enough money. Now, this past week, so, you know, as I said, there's been at least eight femicides that have happened in Quebec. And the provincial budget has come out and they've committed $4.5 million only to 
to housing or to to um to shelters and you know these organizations were talking about how they needed more than 100 million dollars before the pandemic started in february of 2020 and so it's just like as you say this is not only not a priority it's it, it, it seems more like it's a fucking fine it's it's good that this happens this there's there's a reason that they have no political desire to intervene and that reason is because at the base of it the the foundation of canada's patriarchy is colonialism and if we don't understand the, the the way that colonialism underlies the foundation that patriarchy is built on top. And, you know, of course, rich white women can be in domestic violence situations, of course. But that the 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 colonial uh, foundation of Canada, of our laws, of our society, of our economy, it feeds out into every aspect of our lives. And that is why there is a crisis of murdered and missing indigenous women and girls in this country. Oh, something else that the fucking federal government has just not had time to deal with, despite the tremendous work of the National Commission. So it's what do we do about this? This is it's just so disgusting and so unacceptable. Well, this particular situation is one of the things that continues to make me really upset about the uh, the conversation around policing and safety and security in society. Because, my God, like the police suck at basically everything. But here's one thing that they really, really fucking blow at. It's the 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 whole anything that has to do with gender based violence. The police don't do shit for that. And in fact, in a lot of cases, are the perpetrators of this, mm. shit, of this shit, okay? And um, so often, um, and, you know, um, one of the more viewed interviews that I did last summer um, uh, is uh, one of the examples of this. So often, when you talk about uh, policing and how bad policing is and how things need to, to, to shift away from policing, People will say almost immediately, it's almost immediately people think about, well, what do you do about rape? What do you do about um, uh, women who are in a bad um, um, situation, which uh, is, you know, a uh, it's like this trope that people use, um, you know, they envision it, it's not they're not thinking about uh, indigenous women or black women who are um, in uh, situations of gender based violence. It's this idea of like a, an innocent white woman and that we need to protect this innocent white woman. And it comes up almost every time that you have like a discussion about shifting um, something with respect to safety. It comes up often in discussions around, for example, uh, trans, access, trans folks access to using public bathrooms. People are like, oh, we have to protect um, this phantom woman who is being protected by the way things are happening right now. And if we don't continue to, to, to allow things to continue the way they are right now, then this phantom white woman who is in danger uh, um, uh, will be in even more danger because uh, the the way our society operates right now is the only thing that's protecting her, which is just a load of crap. Like the, the, we have no emergency service that exists to provide some measure of safety or security to women and girls who are going through the situation that exists on a broad scale. There are uh, community-based services where people have come together to create not-for-profits to to support these these initiatives piecemeal, 
but there's nothing. There's no one to call. You know, if oftentimes when women are in this type of situation and they call the police, if there's no uh, like evidence right off the bat of something happening, like there's nothing that that can be done. That's not the way our uh, security and safety systems are set up. And so women remain in these situations because there's nothing to do. If women do leave, um, that becomes a really dangerous, dangerous time. Uh, especially if this is, you know, if the, if the perpetrators, uh, are, are people who are, you know, fucking, well, they always are. It's, you know, it's about power. It's about control, um, of these, of these women. And so if they take control over themselves, um, that becomes, uh, a very risky situation, uh, for women. Um, and so it's, that is, just so unacceptable to keep throwing money at this institution, um, uh, using women to to justify the existence of this institution that uh, continues to fail women who are in this in this uh, fucking crisis situation. I mean, gosh, like as you say, Nora, it's it's a woman who's being killed every two days in this country that I mean is that that's a fucking unacceptable and I mean think about all of the women who are not killed but are also going through some sort of violence it's unacceptable I think that's a really profound thing that you've said for people to think about this idea that there's no services to stop this stuff so many of the services are reactive and you could think about creative solutions within society that might be able to give people fleeing gendered violence like a soft landing while the state deals with the violent partner. So I'm thinking of like, you know, what if you had a situation like you could go to the emergency room in a hospital like and just, you know, have like pretend to have a symptom and then you would know that in an emergency room that there was actually domestic violence services and that you would not be turned away, sent home, put back into the hands of your abuser who's now even more angry because you've tried to escape, right? Like that would be interesting. Or what would what would clandestine-like services look, you know, um, mutual kind of, uh, not mutual aid because it has to be structural, it has to be systemic, but something that you're able to call somebody and it be under the radar for an abuser and then you actually have the ability to not, again, be back into this kind of situation with someone who's violent. Um, You know, it's very frustrating because every time we have these conversations, I see a lot of um, high-profile feminists kind of turning this into a situation or a question of, like, we need to educate men better. And I think that, I mean, yeah, sure, fuck. Like, there's a lot of shitty men, for sure. We have to educate men better. But I think we also need to understand that, that, that again, these are systems. These are, these are systemic issues. And it isn't, like, it's not a poorly educated man who's a violent, abusive piece of shit. It's a question of power. And it's a question of, like, what is the foundation for, for, for a man to think that the kind of power that he uh, is, is entitled to uh, comes through 
uh, his control over a woman. And as you, as you see the rise of like misogyny online and, and really violent ways that men are lashing out at lots of different stuff, but of course uh, it's privately and in the home where it's going to be the worst. Uh, there's there's no social intervention to stop that kind of behavior and to correct that kind of behavior. And, you know, and it, it, like no one's getting thrown in jail and I'm not suggesting that you throw someone into jail. But like, why is it so easy for, for people to break restraining orders? Why is it so hard to get a cop to believe you? Why is Because they're all part of the same system. And as you said, I mean, some of these people are the abusers that we're talking about. And um when you think about it in these terms, it becomes very uh, clear that there's a, a a reason for why governments refuse to actually do anything significant because it is literally built into the system and they will not upset the status quo. The status quo works for them. And, you know, the liberals easily could have, they easily could tomorrow, as we know, they could just say, you know what, you're fleeing gendered violence, you get $20,000, no questions asked. You show up somewhere, you're going to get $20,000. And... I mean, would that solve everything? No, of course not. But would that fucking probably help a little bit? Yes. Um, You know, they could tomorrow quadruple the amount of money that shelters are given. They could tomorrow um, force some sort of uh, distance uh, between, uh, you know, put put, um, victims of of, uh, or survivors of, of gendered violence into some sort of protection program, a witness protection. Like they could do these things tomorrow and they and they won't and they and they and they don't. Um, and so I think, you know, part of it is is we have to look at what the, the – where is the, the movements in talking about these kinds of radical interventions that go beyond uh, bystander fucking education or that go beyond, oh, just tell men not to rape, right? And it's like that is – we cannot think about this in an individualistic way. You're not going to unfucking convince a violent piece of shit to stop being violent through a course. It's It's much deeper than that. And this is where, I mean, I'm a bit in despair because our movements are not super strong right now. And there isn't um, there isn't uprisings in reaction to these to these violences. We're coming up at the third anniversary of the um, of the time that I wrote tweets about the Humboldt Broncos crash, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, I mean, you can Google it. But um, the impetus behind what I what I wrote was in Ontario in 2018. That year alone, so from January until the beginning of of April, 15 women and their children and a brother uh, had been killed in situations of femicide and domestic violence. And, like, it's so amazing. And I was making that connection. That's literally what happened. And the violent male fucking shittiness that was just rained down upon me from every fucking aspect of the state for for making this kind of comparison was, was what happened. And it's it's funny, funny in a way, funny, not uh, haha kind of way to think back at that moment and be like, wow, you know, we just don't take this stuff seriously. We collectively in this society are OK with women being killed. And it's and it's just so it's ridiculous because it's like, fuck, in this situation, there's also women and some men. Right. I mean, this is not just about women getting killed. This affects everybody. And still, it's like fucking impossible to talk about it. Yeah. As you were talking about these different ideas that the government could implement tomorrow, I, you know, I want to uh, be clear also that there are some ideas that are a little bit more on the preventative side that may not seem as obvious, like the the fact that minimum wage is not a livable wage is is a problem that contributes to this issue. 
Um, the fact that there are types of labor that we do in this society, including child rearing duties that are not compensated is part of the problem with respect to this. If people don't have um, uh, financial or economic independence to be able to leave and are, are dependent on somebody else for their livelihood and for the livelihood of their children, it becomes very, very difficult to escape someone else's control. And um, these things don't necessarily need to be mediated through money, you know, like uh, we could create a situation where uh, people are uh, independently able to survive without needing access to money. You know, we could have free housing uh, um, uh, provisions. We could have uh, free access uh, to childcare. We don't have either either of the sides of these things, whether it's uh, adequate uh, um, uh, compensation for work uh, done by mostly women or or adequate access uh, to uh, to to these services that wouldn't be uh, mediated by user fees, but that's a huge part of the problem. Like the way that our society is structured, is such that women make less money than men. Um, if you are an indigenous woman, if you are a black woman, if you are a woman of color, you are working. You are making a lot less money than men. It's worse. If you are a disabled woman, you are making a lot less money. If you are a trans woman, you are making a lot less money um, than men. And that, that structurally creates a situation where it is easier for a violent and abusive man to, um, to take control and to force a level of control on someone's life. And that is easy to correct. Those pieces are easy to correct. These independent pieces are easy to correct to allow people to live with economic uh, uh, freedom, independent economic freedom to some extent. That's not difficult. And um, this isn't something like novel that I'm saying. The government knows this. <laughs> they've, they've been knowing it. People have been talking about it for decades. Uh, and yet we still have uh, no situation where people can be um, uh, uh, compensated, you know, beyond tax credits and baby bonus style uh, payments that exist to uh actually compensate for the work that people put in um, to raising children in our society. And we have no, there's like, what is, who's, who, what is the, 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 the initiative that is ongoing um, to, uh, to, to create pay equity in a real way for all women? Um, I don't know what it is. All of these things are, um, you know, the fact that people it can have jobs that don't pay them a living wage doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. What mm. are you supposed to do? Like it just, it, the whole thing is, is structured to, uh, to create a volatile and dangerous situation. And then on the other side, leave people without any place to turn. Yeah. And throw onto that, the housing market right now. And it's like, even worse, right? Then you have this incredible financial strain 
uh, and impossible um, options because there's just nowhere to move. There's nowhere to go. Everything is just exploding in so many parts of this country that you are even further trapped and that that economic relationship that you have, you know, you might be able to endure the violence because you just don't have any other options. And then, of course, there's child services that sometimes, oftentimes does not play a positive role. And and a lot of mothers afraid that they're going to lose their children will stay in a violent situation so that child services doesn't come knocking if uh, the if the mother decides to leave. So, yeah. And, and again, as you say, there there's solutions to all of these things. I want to go back to the police and how they uh, are the, <laughs> the it, it's through police that we know the most about violence, uh, about domestic violence or gendered violence. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, it's very fucking weird that that's the case, that journalists have to rely on official reports from the police. They, they rely on the... Um, on the explanation of what happened from the police. And we certainly know that in situations where um, it's very clear that the SIU has to get involved because the police, either through their actions directly or indirectly, someone got injured or got um, got killed, that um, re- relying on the, re- on the police to be the group that broadcasts, reports this kind of stuff is really horrible. And we know that there's situations where families don't actually find out what happened to their loved one because the police are not forthwith with their information. And so that's something else that we need to interrogate. Like, why is it that in so many of these situations, the only voice that is in any of the news articles that we that we read is from the police? Uh, a notoriously violent force of people that within their force are also violent to their partners. Like, how does that make any sense? Yeah. How does that make any sense? I, you know, um, gosh, I mean, what would it look like? I mean, I think I, I feel like in society we have uh, the uh, imaginative people out there um perhaps listening to this podcast, who can imagine a, a situation where we could build um, an, an additional, an alternative emergency service that would help people who are in this situation. I think that we can imagine uh, a world where uh, people are not um, so dependent and beholden to one individual partner, but that we are dependent on one another as communities to provide for one another. I mean, I think that that's the way humans are built to exist. Um, and if if that was the way that our societies were set up, how many of these violent deaths um, that are mostly intimate partner violence, how many of them uh, could we prevent? I believe that we have the ability to think up to create these new services. And I don't know why we are so stuck in um, in accepting things the way that they are. And the only way that we engage these conversations is to say, okay, well, what needs to change about the police? Or how can we support um, the shelter services? Or uh, what sort of education can we give to men? Or, you know, how can we um, encourage these women uh, to leave? Which was, um, you know, there was an article in this, the Ottawa Citizen that got a lot of... Um, uh, play this week that was just saying, you know, women should just leave, which is, of course, um, 
you know, when often when the danger gets the highest. Why can't we think beyond these things and just think, okay, none of this shit is working. (laughs) We need something completely Mm. new. What is making us so resistant to doing this? Because here's the reality. Women have always been devalued in the in the systems that we have that create society right now that set up and uh, control the way our society works women have always been devalued um uh in a a settler colonial situation uh, indigenous women have always been particularly devalued uh black women have always been particularly devalued and women of color have always been particularly devalued uh uh, in a situation uh, where you know we are, are still living amongst a, a patriarchy, um, a, uh, a a system where to be normal um, you must be considered uh, fully able-bodied and uh, and straight and heterosexual and so on. You know that means that uh, people, disabled people, disabled women, uh, uh, trans women queer women are seen as disposable, literally disposable. And I'm not just like making that up. That is in the proof of how this stuff, um, how this stuff happens, how uh, this violence, this femicide is carried out. So why are we so stuck Mm -hmm. in trying to make these systems better in some Mm -hmm. way when they're clearly not working in the way that they've been formulated at all. We, I mean, we own this society. There's only us living in this world. (laughs) We can create anything we want. And the people in power have the ability to just say, you know what? This isn't fucking good enough. We're going to create something completely different. And we're going to put all of the money that we put towards buying a pipeline or all of the money that we put towards uh, tax incentives for businesses (laughs) to taking care of all of these people who are in danger of femicide in our country. They have the ability to make that decision. And they haven't. Yeah. Why? Because uh, everybody in power is like a real shithead, I think is the the shortest way of explaining it. You know, I think a lot about the fact that one of the biggest advances to men's safety in, can- in Canadian history, uh, to men's uh, security, really, um, that stopped men from, from murder, was the right to have a divorce. Because there was all of a sudden a legal mechanism for wives uh, in violent situations to leave rather than to fight back and murder their husbands. Um, and that's very interesting. I mean, if you look at the at the statistics of, um, of based on gender, who uh, is more likely to kill somebody, um, you know, men are like way more susceptible to stranger danger than than women are, which is very interesting and a statistic that doesn't get talked about very much. But you can imagine, like, I don't know how obvious it was in the 1960s that if you gave women the right to divorce their husbands, that the murder rate for men would go down. I don't know if that was obvious, but that was a very radical change. That was a very radical break from the status quo to allow people to have divorces. And we are just stuck in this logic now of of, of these tiny reforms ever going to be able to be enough to change anything. 
And, um, you know, when we if we are thinking of violence against women as being first and foremost violence against indigenous women, as it's as it's the the one form of gendered violence that is increasing. Right. There's been a general decline in violence against white women, uh, slow decline. I mean, it's not going down fast enough, but in, in, for, for indigenous women and for racialized women, you know, th- violence is, is increasing. Well, that means that we also need to understand resource extraction as being a question of gendered violence. We have to understand uh, rural safety, gun safety in rural communities, uh, rural racism, uh, rural property rights, and pro- and that whole f- the struggle over fucking uh, whose fucking farm a, a, a white man has the right to defend. We have to see that as gendered violence uh, in the lens of gendered violence as well, uh, because if we don't, then we will We'll never uh, get to the core of of why that kind of violence, why violence against indigenous women especially, is continuing to increase in this country because it has impacts in a lot of other different ways that isn't directly like necessarily connected to, let's say, uh, a resource extraction project. But that's that's really, really important. And so feminists really need to understand that uh, that connection between colonialism, colonial expansion and uh, policing, colonial policing. I mean, if 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 your solution ever includes the police, like you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, and and this is the kind of radical approach to these issues that we have to take if we want to have any hope in hell of, of changing it. Because the liberals have been so slippery in how they talk about feminism, and they have just been so let off the hook that it's that it's unacceptable and that they uh, I mean they, they should be they should be faced with a, a mob every single time that they go in public a socially distanced mob um, but they're not they're they're actually <laughs> able to say that they're feminists and there are still people that will applaud and say that's true and we really need to resist that logic and call them out for uh, the extremely violent non-feminist shit that they're continuing to pull well, and look, an election is fast approaching. As we know, you know, we're in a minority government situation. It's happening. It's happening soon. And uh, I'm just really hoping that people don't forget this shit and don't just simply accept uh, when the liberals, again, pr- try to present themselves as this feminist, as this feminist uh, uh, party. They're not. And their record uh, proves that, you know, you don't have to do a lot of searching to find it. Okay. Um, it's shit. And they should be given shit every time um, that, uh, that they claim differently. And uh, that means that when they do that, uh, for the journalists who, who listen to us, please, you know, give them hell for saying we're feminist because they're not. Mm-hmm. They are not. Um, and uh, their record is quite clear on that. And this situation, uh, uh, never having any sort of real attention on it. Um, is one of uh, of the proofs to it and and should be raised uh, when in an election situation, Justin Trudeau says, I'm the feminist guy on the ballot. Mm-hmm. 